Welcome to The Last Supper, a weekly podcast about art in Asia featuring artists, gallerists and collectors. The Last Supper Talking Art is supported by Art Law Services, a boutique law firm that offers bespoke legal advice with offices in Amsterdam and Hong Kong. More information can be found on www.artlawservices.com. Hello, I'm Oscar Van Huys, a Dutch-Korean artist based on Lama Island in Hong Kong. In this episode, I talk with Gillian Ao Howard, the co-founder and co-director of the Digital Art Fair in Hong Kong. She tells the story of how she had a dream of becoming an artist but instead studied journalism. While Gillian was in New York, she developed a passion for photography that started her career not as a journalist but as a gallerist in Hong Kong. During her time as a gallerist, she met actress Carrie Fisher of Star Wars, who she didn't immediately recognize, but this lucky encounter was the beginning of a long journey of organizing the very first digital art fair during the global pandemic in 2021. Hey Gillian, how are you today? Nice to be here with you, Oscar. Thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure and delight to have you on the podcast today, Gillian. And I've got a lot of questions for you as well. So let's start with how you got involved in the world of arts, because art wasn't necessarily an easy or natural career choice, especially here in Hong Kong. I'm glad someone find my background interesting. Um, I always thought that, because uh, uh, you must have seen on LinkedIn that I, I used to work in traditional galleries and uh, and uh, I now I'm in the kind of like a mural industry, digital art and NFT scene. Um, so a little bit background of me, um, I'm born in Hong Kong, born and bred from Hong Kong and uh, I live in around a few places in the world. I lived around London, in London for a few years. I was in New York for a few years. I was in Hong Kong for the majority of my life. And um, my parents are both Chinese. So um, if you understand how the Chinese uh, mentality uh, is uh, 50 years ago, is uh, they do not look at art and culture really something that is, uh, um, how would you say, like money-making business. So especially in Hong Kong, it's a very financial-driven city. Um, so I grew up really wanted to be an artist. Uh, but my dad said to me, my mom and dad would said to me, be practical, girl. Like, you know, like, if, you, if you're going to go be an artist, you're probably not going to make it. And uh, that was me since I was, I guess, eight, nine years old. And I, and, and I was curious about the art world. So I, always, I remember growing up with this little booklet that I had. And um, I, it's quite cheesy. It's a 80 artworks that you must see in your lifetime or 100 artworks you have to see in your lifetime. Something like that. It's a little pocket book. And uh, I used to keep it in my, in my, in my, in the drawer, in my top drawer on my bed. And I would flip it from, from play to place. And it would say, oh, Michelangelo, who and who, that really cool painting. And, uh, and that's how... I guess since very young age, I've stemmed the, I've had the interest of art. 
And um, so my mom and dad said, don't do, don't go, don't be an artist, especially your your women. You're not going to make it. Like you know that kind of that kind of not very encouraging tone to me. Um, so I did my degree in journalism and mass communication, and I really thought that I wanted to be a journalist for a while. I didn't know that you had given up on arts and that you were very serious about pursuing a career in journalism. What happened after you finished your study? Once I graduated journalism school, I decided I want to go back to work in art. So my first job uh, until now, I have been working in the fine art industry. Um, I started as a part-time gallerist. So I was in university and then two days, three days a week uh, during Christmas time, I'll be in a gallery in Hong Kong on Hollywood Road. And that continued for a few years. Um, and then I, uh, in between, I was in New York back and forth. I was, I kind of still want to pursue my creative career at that time. I, I was in uni and I was also uh, have my camera, have my little VC with me, and 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 that time, uh, it was quite. It was like two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight, uh, and at that time, it was face already quite digital, but kind of kind of like digital camera suit just came out, and um, people forgotten about how photograph originally made like black room photography. So I was at a period of time, you know, I was in New York. I was quite obsessed with that. Uh, Darkroom photography, so film photography, you go to a darkroom and you use chemicals and you develop it. So that, but since, I guess since I'm, I was, I got my first job, full-time job at a galleries, I've always been working with fine art. And uh, until recently, I, I switched to uh, find the digital art fair in 2020. The time you have spent in New York seems to have made a real impact on your future career. What can you say about your experience during this period and how this has shaped and affected your decision of your dream of becoming a professional artist? And I was, at first, uh, I mentioned I was really interested in uh, darkroom photography. So I got a job uh, to teach uh, activities for children. And at the same time, I was, you know, hanging out with the art artistic group of friends who are all kind of DJs and artists and photographers, wannabe, very young crowd in, in New York. And and uh, it was a great time. Um, but mostly I was kind of, I was young and I was teaching and I was trying to see if I could make it there in New York. I thought, maybe I'll be able to make it easier there. Because Hong Kong is so financial driven and it's not, looks, not looking like there's an art and cultural scene here back then. Um, but yeah, but eventually I, I, I think what I learned was, um, I, I think I have the eyes of art but I, because I look at other people, other artists' work, and I was like, "That's wonderful. That's beautiful. Like, how do you make it?" And and slowly you realize that there are many, many talented artists out there, and I'm probably not one of those very, very talented painters or sculptors and whatever. Right. So so I turned my career into uh, art management instead and start working in galleries. That's a very colorful background going from journalism to educating children and photography and how you kind of discovered that you weren't going to pursue an art career or as an artist. And you mentioned that you studied art management as well. When and where was that? 
Uh, I was in London and I also managing art galleries and uh, that was a period of the time it seems like for like for that seven, eight years I was focusing on gallery management. When you began working in a gallery here in Hong Kong, can you still remember what attracted you to this industry? Because back then, like there was no, Hong Kong weren't as an art hub back then. It was kind of still kind of up and coming. Um, and I, I don't know. I think I, I like the, I love this phrase uh, to say that if you do the job that you love, you never work a day in your life. And that's my reason of going into the art galleries, art galleries uh, management, because I thought if I my job is to sit in a gallery and uh, you know talk to buyers and work with artists, and I think that's that's for me it doesn't consider as a job, and I liked it and I loved it so much, so I, I never consider be working a day that is like you know, just work. But um, yeah, I really enjoy being working in the scene and and meeting all these great creative people and even some of the art collectors that I met, like if you always have a really good conversation and you learn so much from them. And that's what I love about it. I can hear in your voice the passion you have working in galleries in Hong Kong. What else makes working in galleries so special? Oh, I used to work uh, with Blue Lotus Gallery in Hong Kong and I, some, I, I, I really enjoyed learning um, and connecting with the local community in Hong Kong. Like the artists seem that there is an up and coming uh, urban art uh, scene here in Hong Kong, like Jonathan Jaley, uh, one of really great artists I, I, I adore, Simon Birch, uh, Darian Swerve, uh, like international artists that wise, like a lot of artists from London I, I really, really like as I spent some time there as well. Um, but overall, is that there are still so many to explore. I think the local RC, especially in Hong Kong, is, is really deserve a lot of attention, especially in Asia-wise. I think that like we're just up and coming. In 2021, in the midst of the global pandemic, which we are still experiencing, you decided to organize the very first and highly ambitious digital art fair. Describe to me how this started and the long journey of organizing such a complicated and complex event during the pandemic in Hong Kong, because I understand it all began in London. I was in London for a few years. Um, I always love London. I have my my husband is from from London. My really good friends are all from there, um, uh, from London as well. So I always love the art scene there. It's very creative. It's very very inclusive. It's very young and and hip. And um, so spent some quite some time in London. And I did my uh, when I was there, I was working as a freelancer and consulting on the galleries and projects as well. So I got to meet quite a lot of people in the scenes there. And uh, and I learned so much. Um, somehow, one thing that I learned uh, during my stay in London, and, and I actually also did a course uh, at Sotheby's um, they, at about global art business. Um, so my, my perspective sort of changed because the more you see like how other people doing things out there, you realize that like the literacy that you came from in Hong Kong is actually 
quite fallen behind. So what I'm talking about was like digital integration, uh, um, like as simple as, as contactless card, like in London, we were using it for like many, many years. But back then, no one was using it in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. So an AR, VR, all this thing that there was quite popular uh, overseas, like I had never seen anyone in Hong Kong doing that. So when I came back, the first idea was to open an art gallery. And I did. It was, uh, I have the gallery space in Kwaichung. It was massive. It was, uh, God, I don't know, very big, seven, 8,000 square feet. But it was during COVID time. So once I tried to leave, COVID started. And I was like, oh gosh, I have a two-year lease of this massive warehouse that I rented that I was thinking about doing the coolest, hippiest, uh, local underground art scene. And now I have the empty space of no one want to come here. So I got to start being creative because I thought I have all the experience that I have and there got to be some way to get out of this COVID situation. And then this, and then that was the moment that I started thinking, well, I did learn about everything about digitalization. And why don't I change the perspective and be creative and think about what can we do? And that was the moment that like, I'm going to start to up there. That's a phenomenal journey. And you make this sound so effortlessly as well. You also told me the story of Carrie Fisher, the actress of Star Wars, who you didn't recognize um, when you met her in 2014, I think. How did Carrie Fisher play a role in your digital arts journey? Oh, I forgot to tell the story. I always forget the story about. So, um, I, my first full-time job as a gallerist, I was managing uh, the Asia branch of this museum collection uh, from Russia. It was back in 2011, 12. Um, and then the, I was managing the Hong Kong gallery for them. It was a 3,000 square feet gallery space. Uh, and uh, the first day, so I was launching a brand for them because I'm from Hong Kong and I understand the art scene. And, and the goal was to promote Russian culture back then. Um, and, and don't get me wrong, like despite the political reason there, like the, the back then, uh, I think then the, the scene was very different from, from what it is like this year, especially. Um, and uh, the, they were talking about a lot like painting, like collective painting in the, in the, in the museum and, uh, and to promote the artists that, that there was working there. And um, and one first day I opened the, the, the gallery, uh, it was literally the first day I remember having the grand opening the night before. And the next day I came back, so I was kind of like cleaning up the space and uh, walk, walk in the door. It was really early. It was, it was, I just opened the gallery, it was 11 o'clock. And Kevin uh, Fisher walked right in. Kevin uh, Fisher, you guys all know, was the uh, princess leader of Star Wars. Uh, she was in Hong Kong for one of the, uh, I thought, cancer initiated fundraising back then. And she stopped in front of this piece of video art um, that was made by a very, it's a masterpiece uh, by a Russian painter back in uh, 1920 or something. And the museum collection turned into an animation. Now it will be easily understood as a digital art and NFT. Back then it was 2013, 14, that people were like, okay, can I buy this? I'm, I'm buying the video. Like, and how am I going to display it? 
And those were the questions that Carrie, Carrie was asking me. And she walked in the gallery and I was like, oh, you look so familiar. <laughs> I knew before. <laughs> and uh, she told me that, yeah, I, I, I'm interested in, in this video art that you, you have on the TV. So how am I going to buy it? And I explained to her, well, you can buy this. This is this much in price, an addition of one out of eight. And uh, it's a video art. And it was 2014. So, and then I, she collected the work and throughout the years, uh, she passed away a couple of years back, but uh, throughout the years, she always messaged me and asked me, because we send them a USB, right? There's a USB stick, we've got a wooden box, branded, branded in wooden box, we chop on it, and then we shipped it over to LA in her house. And and every other week, her assistant called me and said, Jillian, Jillian, we content on the USB, the video art. Uh, and I was like, no, go buy a big TV, put it in there, turn it on every day, put it on loop, right? So that was how video art was, right? Since 2014, and I'm sure it existed before me, but back in 2014, there are also a bunch of other artists and galleries doing video art and installation digital art. One of the very famous uh, Chinese uh, gallery at that time, Liu Dao, uh, Six Island, Alan Seng, so it's also one of very good digital uh, gallery that I, I really, really like. So I'm always, I'm o- I always go there because it's really close by and, I, and they have all this, we call this phone number, the team is going to change and something like that. It was really cool. Um, so yeah, so that's how I got in, into digital art. And just, I, I thought, wow, like you can, and that time I was like, yeah, I, I thought to me, I thought selling a piece of video art is normal because I, I've been, I started so so early on, right? I, I actually sound digital art and just a video file back in 2014. And now it's 2022, we're talking about NFT, but to me, essentially, is something that I have been working on for a very long time. You've been working for almost a decade with digital art and digital artists. There are many who embrace it, and there, of course, is also a group who are a little bit more reluctant. What do you think the challenge is with digital art? Um, well, it's understandable because we are physical beings, and we need to train, we need to eat, right? We need to be able to feel, feel the touch of a painting, see the stroke, right, on the brush stroke on the on the painting, and and look at a sculpture, it's nice when it's marble finish or it's like a, a plated aluminium or brass or whatever the way it is, because traditionally that's how art has been made. And um, because human being, we are very creative people. Like we are the most creative, smartest species in the world. And we love to feel things. We feel so many things that out of imagination that other animals would not be able to do, right? So we do computers and then we do internet and then we do blockchain and then we do more and more things on top of different things. So I think to understand the, it's like, I think it's the revolution of digital, digital uh, understanding as well is that internet has only existed for God, like how long has it been? 20, 30 years, like wildly, not that long. So for us to view a traditional art and flip it to the next page and now understand that it's going digitalized is not 
it doesn't, it's not going to come natural because we have been doing the traditional way for so long. There are those who grapple with the digital art and what to make of it. What's more is that the domain of digital art appears to attract a different, younger audience. It reminds me of the graffiti movement in the 80s, 90s that opened the door to a different audience. Can you speak about the audience that is embracing the digital domain of the art? I mean, like it, it also actually comes down to what is the... Um, what what one really is art, right? Because that's that's people why what people are asking right now is how can you consider that art? And that question has always been been around, right? Like someone make a graffiti and then the traditional art will point it and say, like, how is that art? Someone make a poster and they're like, Yeah, that's not good. And then someone make music and they also said that's not art. Well, well, if classical music is art, then why is rap music not art? Why is hip hop? not consider art as well. They are all an art form. It's just people like, I think generally people like to define what is art and in, indeed like you you really, no one can say what is and what is not. And that's kind of like a very simple art theory that there is until you find meanings in there that is considered art and culture because it means something to someone then, means, then it has meanings. Let's talk and discuss the digital art fair. If it's so tough and problematic to define the boundaries of art, how did you curate and what was it that drove you to host and organize last year's digital art fair in 2021? I learned that the, um, the visitors and the art collectors uh, are getting older. So every day I sit in the gallery and every person I speak to is getting older and older, right? Just, I don't got the young generation coming in anymore. I don't, I don't, I don't see people my age. I only see the 20, 30 something coming in the galleries and want to talk about artists or artwork or just, you know, generally life in the gallery, right? Um, and I figure out that that's an issue for that because the less young generation, or young, less young people care about art and culture or less people coming into galleries, that means that the gallery business is going down. And, but besides the commercial aspect of that, it also means that no one really cares about art and culture anymore or no young generation care about it. Like we do care about LV and you know brand names and luxury goods in Hong Kong. But one thing that I noticed is the young generation has less and less interest in, in art and culture. Right? That, that is a massive issue. And I want to sort, sort out that problem for, for, for us, for people from Hong Kong, because I'm from Hong Kong and I'm like, no, we're cool, we, we, we're, we're very artistic. But because the art show, the art fair out there is not speaking the language that the younger generation is speaking. Being said is, what, what, we, what, I'm, what I'm trying to say is, the way that we are, the art gallery is being showcasing, the work that we're showcasing, is not kind of like, I guess, uh, it's not the art of the, of the time. I like to use that phrase that my mentors have found they taught me. Art and culture is about the language that we speak currently. So our culture is what is going on outside. But the traditional art world has been showing the art from 50 years ago. 20 years ago, 30 years ago. So the young generation who grew up with an 
iPhone and iPad or knowing all this app and all this knowledge cannot relate to it. So you go into every museum, yes, those are really great, but what about the art of our time, right? We have contemporary art, the Renaissance art. Renaissance at that time was talking about Jesus and, and religions and, and all this stuff, right? And then you have contemporary art, we have kind of like in New York, it's kind of underground and then, you know, unconventional and, and different periods go through different uh, genre of art. And this is our time of art, it's digital art is speaking the language of our time is using technology to, to, to make art piece. And, I, and, and that's why I think digital art thought it is it just reflecting what, we, what kind of language the young generation is speaking right now. And, uh, and speaking to the, the generation that the demographic that would be interested in this, uh, this, kind, of, this kind of artwork. In last year's digital art fair, you had a really impressive list of artists. And the list is pretty long, but I just want to highlight a few artists. You had Rafik Anadol, Beeple, Jackie Tai, Matt Doc Jones, King of Kowloon, Krista Kim, Victor Wong. You also had Surreal HK, Henry Chu, and Derry Antworth. Um, and the list is a lot longer. So it was a spectacular list of amazing artists. How were you able to get them on your very first inaugural digital art fair. And how did you pull this off? Because one, it was COVID season and also organizing an international art fair is so different from a gallery show. At first, I really, I, I started a project by myself, just me. And then I, I hired um, one executive and there was two of us. And then I had my husband there. I was like, hey, you want to bounce about this? But to me, I, I don't know why, was wrong with me back then. And I thought that I could pull it off. I really thought that I could. And uh, and I said, yeah, I, I've, been, I've been curating art shows for 10 years now. I, I can do it like this, right? But it's not like wanting a fair. It's really not like that. And you're right. The artists that we got on the, the uh, program, so we kind of sort, uh, I kind of differentiate, I put it into five different zones during the fair. We have the immersed zone, which is Rafik Anador you mentioned. And then, uh, Number one is Rafik Anta, I've got to talk about him because he's the one of the most wonderful digital artists of our time. And, and I was finding the project and thinking that me and my executive and my husband helping me will be able to pull it off this 25,000 square feet venue in, in, in Central. So of course I was that was uh, I was I was dreaming, right? So but somehow a friend of ours who is a big art collector, um, heard what I was doing and said, Jilly, let me help you. Let me help you with what you're doing. What do you need? I was like, I need to look for the best artists that I can find in the world to show their work here. Because I think people in Hong Kong need to see it and they need to understand what digital art. So I need to, the first show is proving that there is a market in Hong Kong and you should see it because I think you really should. Like, it is the coolest thing you've ever seen. And I did, so we contacted Rapi Canadol and um, obviously my friend James, who's now co-founder of Digital Warfare, uh, knows that Rafik and has been working, has been collecting his work. So I somehow, we somehow convinced the Rafik and gave me a work. And, and then I said to, I said to uh, James, I said, look, I, I think the work is very important of our time and it will be the first time Asia would see digital art like this because no one have ever done what I do right they never look at digital art the way I think it's exciting I think it's cool I think it's 
it's the coolest thing ever. It's a lot of technology involved. People love this stuff. We love our screen. Um, so I said, well, I don't, I'm, I'm an art dealer myself. So I know selling a piece of expensive work like this is not easy. So I went to Sotheby's and I said, hey, Sotheby's, <laughs> you want to help me to sell this? Because look, uh, it's a great artist. And they were, and then uh, the head of NFT sales uh, in Sotheby's New York was actually moving to Hong Kong at that time, just a coincidentally. And I said, look, I have the coolest project for you. And I pitched him and said, listen to this, I'll show you a proposal, so I'm doing this. And the next thing I know, the, we were auctioning with Brigand and Dos, uh, immersive room on Sotheby's. And then all the other artists they, um, that you mentioned, um, so that was for Brigand and uh, and I'm so thankful for what people believing, believing in the project and uh, she's just a great, very, very great artist. And then all the other artists that you talk about, somehow either I have, con- uh, I prestige some, Krista Kim, especially Miss Krista, she's a very, very lovely lady. I just, when I started the project two years ago, I messaged Krista, I was doing my research and I said, Krista, I think you're the coolest uh, Ted artist out there and it's sort of pick your brain and hear what you think about my my idea do you think that, that will work and I already believe that will work and Crystal just said Julie I think that will work it will work great and uh, let's do this so I got Crystal again uh, and now she's a really dear friend and then um, all the other artists and they are some of the best artists that I, I, I know of and I personally know them or I just reach out to them and say, look, guys, I'm doing this. Are you interested to, to show some of your artwork? And we don't charge people. I never charge the artists because I think, look, I am throwing out an exhibition. If you want to be on the show, let's do this. And uh, yeah, the, the rest is history. Again, you make it sound so easy, Jillian. But listening to your story, I'm thinking... Why did nobody else organize a digital art fair before you did? Yeah, well, I asked this question as well. Because um, I, I, this is exactly what I thought. I was like, how come no one's done this? How come no one's done it? I mean, this is the best idea ever. I don't know who did it. And then I went for it, right? Um, actually, to be, to, be, to be serious about this, and I think I understand why no one done it. So... The idea is because you need to understand the hierarchy in the traditional art world. Um, I'm sure you know there are some major players, art galleries, major players in the world, and they are mostly uh, European-owned or uh, American-owned galleries. Um, very, very rare you hear a gallery owner is Asian. Uh, there are some more coming up in China, in Singapore, uh, in, in, even in Thailand, there are some new art and culture coming up. But traditionally, galleries are operated by the Europeans. Um, now, um, think about the, the ingrained hierarchy that's already in there. You have the museum, you have the museum board of directors, and they, all of these uh, art collectors, they have been collecting us for hundreds of years. Asian countries are up and coming, but they don't, all the galleries we have in Hong Kong are mostly uh, Western-owned, right? expat-owned or internationally galleries that come to Hong Kong to set up a gallery here. So 
these galleries already have a bunch of gallery, a bunch of artists that they, they work with for a very long time, and they've been selling them all right, right? I like to use, um, I love to use Banksy as an example, because I, I, I think everybody knows Banksy and his record is going crazy and in auction and everything. And um, one gallery sell Banksy, and it went so well. And the other gallery will be like, you're selling Banksy selling so well, I want to get some Banksy and I'm going to sell that as well. And the other gallery will say, okay, now everybody's selling Banksy, I need to have a Banksy. So I'm going to go to the secondary market or someone that I know have a Banksy, I want to sell this Banksy. Or someone knows someone. So it's always through connection or through uh, um, kind of like referral. There is not a lot of digital art being an option before. You don't see a lot of them going around. Technology, and, and don't forget, most of the gallery's owners are now in their, they're either quite senior, or if you're a 60 or 50 years old gallery owner, they probably don't even know how to use, I don't know, what app, whatever app they can say out there. So not to say AR and AI and, and immersive and, and whatever digital NFT what, right? Like, I mean, to them, it's a complete foreign language. Have you have you ever tried to teach your parents how to use Instagram or Facebook? <laughs> so I think I'm relatively younger and uh, I'm interested in the tech and the art. And, and I also got the, I, I actually got very lucky, my husband, um, he's actually... I was, he was a computer computer scientist to start with, and then he worked in investment banking, and then and then after that he switched to cryptocurrency. So I also got the influence in that as well. I looked at your website just now um, before this recording. I noticed that it's uh, announcement coming soon. What can you tell us about the new digital art fair of 2022? Yes, uh, I think this year we continue to focus more on immersive. Uh, well, the first year was we did it in Central. Um, if you guys sort of didn't know where where it was, it was in uh, it was in Central, some of the busiest streets um, in in Hong Kong. And uh, this year, we're actually planning to move it to a new location, uh, which allow us to build a bigger space and uh, to build a better experience. So we think a lot about our experience for our, for our, um, our collectors and visitors, because it was so different from what it was before. Uh, traditionally, you come to an art show, it's very prestigious and it's very kind of, you know, everybody needs to be very quiet and, you know, try to not touch a white wall and, you know, it was kind of intimidating, a little bit intimidating for most of the people who come to the art show. We want, we focus more on experience, like the experience for the art visitors. Um, when we create a show, uh, the immersive part, we hope that, you know, is an is experience that even though you're not buying any piece of artwork, you come in and you see this really cool immersive show and that's your experience that you can take home and no one can, no one can take it away from you, right? You can take photos, you buy an NFT if you like, right? Um, so that's continued where highlight part is immersive zone. Um, we continue, was and, and the space will be bigger, a new location and, uh, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's going to be better than last year, definitely bigger and better. But I can't tell you too much because we're going to do an announcement uh, next couple of weeks and I'm not allowed to tell. Is the date already confirmed for the 2022 Digital Art Fair? And if so, when is it? Yes, it will be similar date, uh, end of September. 
to October. Hopefully, if COVID allows, that will be the same date as last year. Describe to me what immersive art is, because you mentioned this before in the podcast, and how digital immersive art is different from conventional art. When you look at a painting traditionally, it doesn't move and it doesn't have sand and it stays there, right? Immersive art uh, talks a lot. I guess immersive art, you can understand it is how do you use technology to alter your environment to make you feel like you're inside the art. And that's an immersive experience that includes sound, visual, uh, sometimes uh, air, you know, like movement. It's like going to a 5D or 3D, 4D, I don't know how many, you know, cinema. Sometimes they have like noise, wind coming out, the the chairs moving up and down, right? Um, so similar to that, but is an art experience that uh, made by an artist and then hoping to bring you some sort of understanding or message across. I think that's a great and wonderful description of immersive art. If you think that digital art is just about NFTs because it's so much of the news in the news at the moment, I would think again. I would really recommend experiencing the immersive art because it's converging the physical with the virtual space. It can really feel that you are surrounded and inside the art. It is a very different experience from the traditional installation art. Yes, uh, that's a very long brainstorming <laughs> children out of it. Like you like brainstorm those, figure out how we do this. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's something that we really want to do. Like we, that, as, as I said, the ultimate goal is really to to make this art experience for, for people because I think when you talk about the draw art, you can talk all the fancy words, right? About like AI, generative art, and, and uh, NFTs, right? But if you come here and you see it for yourself, you will get it. Like if you're inside the immersive room, you see, oh, like, oh, that's it. What is what you're talking about? I've seen this before, right? That's cool. Um, last year we did it and everybody's like, everybody walk in the first thing I decided there, I was like, people, first thing you walk in the immersive room and then you will get it. And then you finish the immersive zone and then you come out. And then I don't need to explain to you what's the general art. You will get it and you'll remember that. disclose the artists that have been confirmed for the upcoming 2022 digital art fair? I think we'll, we'll have to wait a little bit for a few weeks, yeah. <laughs> but we do have an open call for artists in galleries to, if they want to get in touch with us and they want to display, display the digital art and NFT, they, they all can apply for it and it will go through, you know, go through a system and then we'll get in touch to see if we can have a chance to see all this amazing NFT out there. We've almost come to the end of this conversation. So my last question to you is the following. If you were to have a last supper with an artist, who would you invite and what would you eat? I think I know. I don't know why I would say that, but I really want to have lunch with Van Gogh. Because like I've seen you know, like I, I, I came to the, one of the very first memory I had with the immersive experience of Van Gogh museum and uh, I told you a little bit about my little pocket book that I used to carry around with me with all the art in there and uh, 
I think that I would like to sit down with him and just in his garden or whatever that he used to go and paint somewhere by the river, right? Like, I just want to talk to him and say, look, man, like, how do you paint that? How? Like, what did you take? <laughs> because like like in some of the apps you just i always have this question and like how right how but if you haven't seen it you don't know why i'm asking this question and i also highly recommend seeing the van gogh art with uh, immersive experience because that is i think sometimes you see an artist that's so brilliant of course it's very traditional but i love the initiative they turn it into digital art and they kind of like understand it. and then after you see that you're like what has happened how did he think about that? Because there was no computer back then. <laughs> I also love Vincent van Gogh's work and especially the immersive show. It's so unfortunate he isn't alive. And I often wonder what he would think of the immersive experience that is available now. And what would you eat with him? God, definitely, definitely have a drink with him. I'm not sure what I'm eating. <laughs> maybe a glass of wine, just to sit and chat about. Maybe sit under the starlight and, and just talk about life. I mean, that was that was enjoyable enough. Thank you, Jillian, for your time today. No, thank you, Oscar. It was such a fun conversation. I really appreciate that. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Last Supper Talking Art with Gillian Ao Howard. For more information about the upcoming Digital Art Fair, please visit their website on www.digitalartfair.io. That's it for this episode of The Last Supper Talking Art. Please consider to support this podcast by following it, leaving a comment or by sharing it. You can find more information on my website www.oscarvenhuis.com and also on my Instagram and Twitter feeds at Oscar Van House.